Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eves. And I'm Hannah Hutzpah. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Robin Lamble and chatting about Death Magazine by Matt Hay. And we're bringing you one of our favourite poems we've heard this month in our live poem of the month section. This month is Zed, live from Speak Equal. So, what have you been up to this month? I've mostly been ill and watching oh. Andrea Gibson videos on YouTube. Tell us about those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andrea Gibson. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a basically nostalgia comfort blanket thing for me, <laughs> more than anything. Um, have you seen the, I think there's a YouTube video of the one where they do the nutritionist. Yeah. And, and they do the little introduction beforehand where they're talking about going to different therapists. Yeah. And at one point they went to like some sort of shaman who like was like throwing yak's milk or something at them in the garden. And they're like, well, at least nobody's ever going to, you know, see this or, you know, nobody has to know about this. And then the shaman's assistant, while this yak's milk is being thrown at them, kind of jumps in and goes, by the way, I love your poetry. <laughs> So amazing ah, one thing I found really weird actually watching because yeah someone whose work I've loved and followed for a few years is watching one or two uh, there's clearly edits made on the basis of real life mm. like partner's name mm. gets edited out but it's still a good poem and as I understand it they're still good friends but like yeah, I think their, their former partner was manning the merch stalls the last time I saw them live but I found it really interesting watching like the little, the little tweaks that are happening based on real life. Fair, George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I also found it really weird, actually. I mean, this this is not currently such what I've been up to for the last few weeks, but because um, I remember many years ago when I had a really shit job, but you could listen to stuff on your headphones at work. Mm. I would be listening to this on YouTube and being like. One, at one point, a colleague said to me, like, I always wonder what you're watching. Like, you really seem like you're really going on an jer- emotional <laughs> journey. And I was. But, yeah, I sort of remembered how much I'd needed, mm. needed it at one point. And at the moment, I'm fairly comfortable. And I, I still love the work. But there's less kind of like, this defines me. Yeah. This, this explains to the world that <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yeah, like, I still love it, but, yeah, my relationship has changed with it, I think, based on where I am, and I've noticed that their relationship has changed with some of their stuff, based on, you know, where they are, which I just found kind of interesting. Yeah, so I have the... So I bought a little thing for when I go swimming. I've got, like, a little waterproof MP3 player that goes around my neck that you can put CDs onto. Now, the thing is, I realised I don't own that many CDs anymore, Mm -hmm. and one of the few that I do is... is, I think I've got Gecko's album. Yeah. And I've got... Volcano. Yeah, yeah. And I've got Andrea Gibson's... (laughs) CD for the last time we went to see them uh, all the time before. Is that Hey Galaxy? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. It's so good, but there is a point where like I'm swimming up and down and and it is it is an amazing emotional journey and it's beautiful. By about the third listen, I was like, I actually I need to not be doing this while I'm swimming because it's quite emotional and <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. just want to have a quick swim before work kind of thing. Like, I need to stop this. It's putting yourself a bit through the ringer. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, actually, I need to break it up a bit with like Hamilton or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and all, you need something with a bit of rhythm to swim to, I think. Yeah. And not that Andrew like, Gibson doesn't have rhythm, but like yeah. spoken word versus music. Is yes, different. yeah. What have you guys been up to this week, this month even? Pretty quiet this month. Um, I went to Speaky Court on Thursday. That mm-hmm. was really good. Yeah, really, really good. It was. Um, is it Tom Demby? Tom Demby, yeah, from Bristol, was featuring, and yeah, he was great. He was really good. 
Yeah. Fun story, actually. I don't know if I'll put this in the, in the final edit or not, but fun story. So my mum came to visit and mm-hmm. she was um, up in North London and she was visiting an old school friend of hers called Linda. Linda has um, got religion in a bad way. Like I have, you know, absolutely no problem with religion, but she's got religion in the kind of homophobic way. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of, I, I had neglected to mention to my mum yeah. So, mum, so I saw this friend. I've neglected to mention to my mum that Speak Equal is a LGBT. Very much an LGBT night. Yes. Yeah. I, Very much so. Yes. I Because my mum is not a bigot, so it just didn't seem important to mention it. Um, yeah. So, anyway, mum turns up and she's trying to tell me about all these things Linda has said while we're stood in the queue. And I'm like frantically like, yeah, we'll talk about it later. I just, mm. I just, I'd rather you didn't repeat these things in the middle of the queue for Speak Equal. Um, and, and then we get in and I kind of say, oh, uh, you know, well, by the way, it's an LGBT night. And then about the second or third poet comes on, it's a guy called Jordan, and he is talking about his cock and his cum and his cum on people. And I am just, I took Rick and Tyrone and Robbie with that, and I was just staring at them. I was just like, do not make eye contact with your mum. <laughs> <laughs> I look at the end of the poem, and my mum is in hysterics. Right. And she's like, I invited Linda to this, but she was too busy. <laughs> <laughs> Experience of the month. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Laurie, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I went to uh, Word Up, um, the revival. Ah, That's yeah, just how was that? Back. Um, yeah, it was really good actually. Um, packed out, like really packed oh, out in the Royal Oak in Harlesden. Um, and yeah, had uh, Poet Curious headlining and Lexa Moore also headlining. Um, which was a hip hop. Uh, she was a hip hop artist, um, which was great. It was just a really, really lovely night, and it's really nice to see that back. And it's really nice to see how it's just gone straight back into that community as mm. well. Like it, they've obviously got new funding. Hannah Gordon was on last month talking about it. Mm. Um, for anyone listening who didn't know, go back and listen <laughs> yeah. to that one. It's a really good interview. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it's uh, it was just a great night, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of that program's like. Um, we also went to Boomerang Club um, in their new venue at Ah, we did. Dalston. Yes, I forgot about that. Um, What's it like? I couldn't make that good. one. Good. Yeah. yeah. Very high energy, actually. I think it's come up a long way. So it was really sort of like tailing off in terms of attendance at the previous place. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really seems to have sparked new life into it. Mm. Yeah, there were people who hadn't been before. There were there were kind of people who were kind of regulars. It was yeah. nice actually. Wasn't I would it? say the majority of regulars seem to have followed, and mm. there's a lot of people who weren't making it down to where it previously was. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, we'll have to see if the energy continues, of course, because it's a new thing, so it's intrinsically more exciting. But yeah, um, yeah. there are quite quite a few people in the audience who I've seen at other events, but I've never seen at Boomerang. Mm. So it was really nice to see them be able to to be there. Yeah, um, give them a move. So that was great. Yeah, I think you're the only person that's unhappy about the move, really. Well, that's because I used to live twenty minute walk from their old venue, uh, but now they've moved. I have to walk for three hours to get there, or I just you know get the tube. Yeah, but it was oh god for me it was like over an hour away. So yeah. if they ran over the stated end time, part of me would be slightly twitching with a like, yeah. come on guys, I'm loving this, but also I need yeah. to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, more more central is yeah. I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move. Other than that, not that much. I've started reading Fiona Benson's Vertigo and Ghost, which I need to finish before I'm sure what I think about it. <laughs> That's one of those. Hmm. The thinker. Yeah. Yeah, your face is almost a like meme while saying that. <laughs> 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 
I need to think about it. It's code. Work out what it means. It might come back later in this episode. <laughs> you play the episode backwards. <laughs> cool. Shall we do the interview? Let's do it. Yeah. The observant among you might have noticed a fourth voice uh, in the room in true Dead Darlings tradition. Uh, our guest Robin Lamble is here with us. Thank Yay. you for joining us, Robin. Hello. Robin Lamble is a physicist and UK slam champion who represented the UK at the Poetry World Cup in 2019, coming second. Their poetry investigates the relationship between the human and natural worlds, and also how many puns you can fit into a line. They are a former Cambridge Hammer and Tongue Slam champion, Vogon Poetry Slam champion for 2015, and a FameLab national finalist 2014. So, to start off with, Robin, could you give us a poem? Uh, yeah. Um, so this poem is called Too Much CO2, and the rule is that words with more than three letters in them must contain a C and an O. Carbon concentrations rocket. Consequences catastrophic. Further concentrations control atmospheric optic echoes. Our cocooning gas contorts. A comfy day to be a scorcher as our oceans all become acidulous and one by one force low-coast locals all to run. Avaricious for resources. Carbon coffers. Cloud discourses. Woo political discord by reproaching consumer forces. In draconic economics, actors are conceived atomic. So we do not contemplate. Competitors cooperate. In a contactless context, we plot, condemn the concept of social cost, but touch converts cogs to community. To connect is to fix. If we connect oscillating electronics, elections and ecologic, we can construct a collective economics. For we have but one air to lap up all sin, and but one air to fan or kin. We are all lit by but one sun. We die and rot in but one bed, and all the gas our ash has fed can go up in one conflagration. Thank you. I've heard that before, and I never realised what the formula was with the C and no, I, like Phonetically, I could tell that there was something connecting it, but I'd never actually known the rule. Because you do a lot of stuff with like a yeah. really strict rule of some description. Like, how do you even pick what you're... <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. They just, just they seem logical in some way and connect to the subject. So sometimes you sort of just come across some neat fact about, like, how the... Like, I have one poem that's just different interpretation of the word set or sets, yep. which <laughs> came up via me noticing that there are so many different versions of that word and could you construct a sentence out of it? And the answer is yes. Uh, in fact, you can construct enough sentences to make what's at least technically a poem. Um, <laughs> not for radio, though, because that no. one has a lot of gestures yeah. to distinguish. That would not be able to follow that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the idea is that um, so other times, like, um, the, I've got a poem called B, spelt B-S, because all the words begin with either a B or an S, and that came because I just wanted to make uh, the flight of the bumblebee, but as a poem. And I had the concept of, let's try and do something that captures the buzziness of the flight of the bumblebee. How can you do that? Let's make a rule. And mm. then the challenge is always, can you actually make a poem that makes sense in that rule? So it's yeah. like mm. a case of finding mm. a rule that's just constrained enough to be interesting and to like present interesting rhythms and like speech patterns, but not so constrained that actually there's only like two sentences. Yeah. Um, so I, I have another poem that's really bad that only uses the letters of DNA. So that's only four letters and there's only one vowel and it, obviously wow. you can technically make a sentence but it's not saying anything meaningful. How long is that poem? It's a haiku. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, pretty much just, you can't and, bring that up and, and not what? do it. Yeah, I, was I, think, say, uh, I think we have to hear that one. <laughs> um, 
A gag at a gag. A cat agger act. Gugger tat. Tag tact. Ta ta. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I would have known what the meaning was, but clearly rhythmically and phonetically. It's someone who is outraged by someone making a joke about putting a cat in an oven. Obviously. (laughs) Whereas if you add the other vowels to that, you can actually make really quite a lot of words. And Mm. I've got an entire poem based on that, but it's obviously you just have so many more possibilities. Mm. But at the same time, people won't necessarily notice that you've got a strong constraint going on there. Mm. That is interesting, because you do sometimes tell people that you did the top here. And and, yeah, and introductions are very Marmite to poets, generally. Some people Mm. get really funny about it. And and sometimes you're like, yeah, but I know that won't land. So why is it you feel the need to kind of tell people? I found, so I started doing poetry at Cambridge, surrounded by people who study English as like their full-time thing, and they were often not noticing that I was doing linguistic constraints, and I'm like, (laughs) maybe I need to give people a little bit of leeway so they don't have to spend ages studying my poems, which they're not going to do on a poetry night, in order to get what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So, like, I generally have, like, quite concept-based poems, and I think people just appreciate, like, a hand-up to get onto the level that the poem is written on in those cases. It Mm -hmm. just means that more people can like understand what you're trying to do and it's like writing with constraints is obviously not a new thing it's been going for a long time like the ulipo movement and things like that like do you do you like look back at what constraints other writers have used to inform your work or do you just kind of get a rule in your head and go with it yeah, I don't know. I think that, um, so I did hear someone who did a poem that started entirely with bees. That mm. was definitely a part of the inspiration for my bees poem. Um, mm. I guess things like leaving out ease, I know a lot of yes. people do that, mm. or univocalisms. I find that with those, it's too open. Like actually just leaving out one single letter is not really very difficult. And mm. you can easily not notice that a poem does that, even seeing it on the page. Mm. And I also think that often the rule is connected to the theme with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so for instance another of my poems uh, it's an etymological theme so almost no one would ever get that but 40% of the words etymologically come from the same root Mm. were meaning to twist or turn in proto-indo-european that's something you're going to have to explain to people (laughs) Um, wait in which poem? uh, this it's called twisting my words ah Um, yeah but I mean you you just have to explain that to people then you know um, not obvious. <laughs> it's not obvious, even if you're a little bit into etymology, that something like that's happening. Particularly since it's a forty percent rule. Like most of the time, you want to do a rule, every word should follow that mm. rule. Um, but when it's like a percentage, yeah, yeah, I've not come across. Yeah, and why that percentage? Um, because if you have a higher or lower percentage, it's either really difficult <laughs> or it doesn't feel like a challenge. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. For readers who, for listeners who don't know about univocalisms oh, it's kind of uh, mm. when you do a poem which only has one vowel in it mm-hmm. so it's kind of in the key of E <laughs> which <laughs> every every word only has E's as the vowel um, or I think I saw I know um, Isle 16 oh, yeah Isle 16 Isle 16 fail Isle um, 16 used to be very into this do kind of thing I think yeah. I had Ross Sutherland do one which I can't remember all of it but the first line was Joe shows Bob how to body pop. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> only using the only vowel on our bazo. And like. I remember those... Tim, Tim Clare did one called Gay Day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a day sounds Spanish. <laughs> 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 That's terrible and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> this was quite a few years ago. I don't know how Tim feels about that now. Um, how did 
did you initially kind of get into spoken word? You mentioned you started doing it at Cambridge. Yeah, um, there happened to be a science competition, Fame Lab, on the same week as a friend of mine was starting a poetry slam in Cambridge. And so I thought, I'll write a science poem and I can do both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was efficiency. all about efficiency. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically. <laughs> my poetry is all about like efficiency on all possible levels. So, you know, yeah, so I, I did that and people quite liked it in both contexts. So I basically continued doing more of the same stuff. And occasionally I write non-sciencey poems that aren't even constrained or anything. It's just me doing lots of words. But mm. I feel that though I don't have a sort of unique selling point on that, there's quite a lot of people who do poems about feelings. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's not my sort of unique selling point. So, you know, yeah. I mostly don't spread those. But uh, yeah. Yeah, so as you are kind of the yeah. science poet now, of, of it's kind of my thing, yeah. <laughs> and are you the poet scientist? That's the question. How, like, I guess in the poetry world, you're known as somebody who writes about science. Mm -hmm. In the science world, are you known as someone who's into poetry? Like, how does the crossover work for you? Um, I would say that it's much more, yeah, in poetry going towards science. I think that most scientists, I try, like, you have to worry about whether it makes they won't take you seriously mm. as a person. So there's definitely contexts in which you want to very much not bring up the fact that you do poetry. Yeah, mm. yeah I, I think that I try and keep the sides of my life at least a little bit separate sometimes yeah. because people maybe won't take you seriously as a scientist if mm. you're just making everything rhyme. Whereas yeah. poets will take you more seriously if there's facts. Oh, that's <laughs> maybe, I don't know. No, I don't maybe know that's not. That's always true either, actually. No, uh, no. I think there are particular groups of poets who get really excited about that, but mm. I also think there are lots of other groups of poets for whom whether or not it's true is entirely irrelevant to the sort of feeling yeah. of the poem. I think there is also something about um, like the way we teach and approach science and arts as being very, very separate. And, mm. you know, that either you're a science kid or you're an arts kid. And that's kind of a, a distinction maybe that we keep going all the way through life. So, yeah. Mm. So straddling those two boundaries as you do, like oh, that, that, that boundary, like how do you make that work? And, and, and what have you found from doing it? Mm. So I think it's been difficult at different points. Now that I'm working on climate change, which is sort of a field that has a lot to do with public engagement and mm. wanting people to sort of take things on board and use them, mm. there's been more excitement about the sort of idea that I'm also talking to normal people. So literally, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, poetry attendees. Poetry well, attendees. No, but literally in my job interview, there was a question of, have you talked to someone who doesn't have a physics PhD? Because you can't take that sort of thing for granted <laughs> when you're talking to physicists. Mm. Um, and so the fact that, yes, I talk to poets may not be normal by normal people's standard, but by physicist standards, that's, that's like... Public speaking. Yeah, any <laughs> form of talking. Yeah, like, yeah. No equations involved. Uh, well, so, I think yeah. there, is, there is a great art in trans translating, conveying mm. complex topics... Yeah. to i mean we both work in uh like rebecca's a journalist i do charity communications like yeah mm. getting getting complicated stuff across in a way that people yeah. absorb it understand it like Simpl that is a skill simplifying yeah. without being simplistic yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. i went on a writing retreat last year a three-day retreat and there was a lady there on the retreat maybe in her 40s i want to say um just kind of reconnecting with writing again for the first time in a long time um and she just kept saying she didn't really know what to write about. She wasn't really sure what she was allowed to write about or not allowed mm. to write about. And over two days into it, someone, someone was like, oh, what did you, what, what's your job? She was like, oh, I was a doctor for 20 years. And it's like, 
You're a, you've been a doctor for 20 years? Why, why, why on earth aren't you writing about that? You must yeah. have some amazing stories. And she just said, well, I didn't really think I was allowed to mm. write about that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's very notable. There are a number of other people in the community. So Tom Dengby, for instance, mm. is mm. also uh, a scientist. He has a PhD on roots. He has a couple of poems about roots, but you wouldn't know he had a PhD from reading his stuff. It's not mm. like that obvious. And there's a few other people floating around. Um, I headlined in Cambridge at the beginning of the year, and actually all three of the sort of people invited on stage had some form of PhD in an optical physics-like subject. <laughs> so, so a subgenre of physics. Very yeah. specific, yeah. I mean, one of us was more an engineer, but, you know, it's, it's all... It's pretty concretely adjacent to, yeah. Engineering is important. Exactly. I just want to say, for listeners, <laughs> you don't have to have a PhD to <laughs> It's not a requirement. <laughs> but it's just notable that, like... From the other two people, you would not have picked up the fact that they had a PhD. Mm-hmm. Where sure. They kind of shove it down people's throats. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's something that's central to your work, and yeah. and there are prizes and things specifically around science and science and poetry and, and yeah. like medicine and poetry and things like that. That it's odd that there's not more. You don't see it more. Mm. I think science is a good. A good well of metaphors quite often. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's, that's what I really enjoy about your work. Like, okay, so you know this weird fact. Anyway, here's an emotionally <laughs> meaningful poem out of this weird fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was Samuel Taylor Coleridge who wrote that, yeah, he went, specifically went to science lectures to replenish his stock of metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that as a sort of concept. And I think mm, that's kind yeah. of how I work as well. I mean, presuming metaphor and laudanum was what he was picking up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doctors, useful people in Victorian time. <laughs> yeah. And I think I I don't do anything like the level of detail that you do, but there's a number of times where I've been like, this thing, I am going to Google the hell out of snakeskin tendrils, whatever the fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. some natural image, and then run with it. History yeah. could also be similar. I think mm. it doesn't have to be science, right? So you write a lot about like your experience with your family on Guernsey. Uh, oh, sort of yeah, but, yeah. It's just things other people don't already know about, right? Yeah. It's just a thing that you can tell people that also gives them like a new way of looking at the world physically and then emotionally yeah and just because science is your focus that is yeah that is the thing that you know a lot about and filter the world through to some extent yeah yeah but yeah i think that it's really great when people just teach me something in the course of me going to a poem like i really enjoy that Mm. that makes sense and i mean kind of on on sort of picking up on that um kind of live communication like you are probably one of the most meticulous um sort of spoken word performers that i know like past partly because you're doing very kind of complicated vocal things but i think you're you're quite you can be quite fierce about like you know performing precisely memorizing your damn poems uh, <laughs> that kind again of not a requirement listeners yeah not a requirement <laughs> something i aspire to and and robin usually uh tucks at me when I have just got off the stage from reading or will openly say well you've done that better (laughs) (laughs) so Um, so yeah do you think that kind of contributes to the success you've had with that yeah science is all about the peer review process and I feel mm. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah. Oh, Slammer's peer review, I love. Right. Slammer's peer review would be great. I think we should have more of that. It's I think data, we should have right? more of that. It's information about how well you're doing on some weird scale. It's not necessarily the scale of is this really a great poem, but it's any information in a numerical form, which for mm. me that works really well for. I know how to sort of Quantum change yeah. things in a way that might make the score go better. Um, mm. And I feel that 
feedback and like honest feedback and yeah. useful feedback that includes negative things and you did this wrong and I've seen you do it better. Yeah. It's something that I really appreciate when other people do it for me and I want to help other people in that way. Mm. Um, usually if I don't have anything bad to say about someone's work, that's a sign that I don't believe it's going to get better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. We, talked, we talked about this exact thing on the last, last podcast, mm. didn't we, about negative feedback with consent yes yeah definitely. the idea that like you can you can say it to rebecca yeah because you know rebecca yeah but would you necessarily go up to someone so like an absolute newbie you probably uh, wouldn't just got up and yeah. done their first yeah. or you and might say i liked your poem yeah yeah or, or, or i liked your poem mm, it could be interesting to play around with this a bit more maybe mm. maybe i mean slams are so interesting because it's so subjective i mean we've talked about it before mm. about like, I think we'd be terrible slam judges, the three of us, <laughs> because you, was it, you said you'd never get below a seven, Rebecca, I Oh, think. yeah, I mean, I, no, I, yeah, I think maybe a six and a half is, you turned up, it wasn't racist, sexist, homophobic, or any other isms, um, and, you know, I could follow, basically. Whereas I'm starting on. at zero, and you're going <laughs> to earn those points. <laughs> Hannah, oh, I can't God. remember what your approach was, something yeah. like... I don't know. Maybe start on a three. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've heard it said that everyone starts on a seven unless they're racist, which I think is probably true, and I think it probably oh, shouldn't be. No. <laughs> yeah. I just um, said I didn't. No, 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 unless they being the poet is racist. Oh, okay. No, I think, yeah. I think, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 judge. Not okay. that you're racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have the means to talk to you. That would be a weird way to out you. <laughs> I'm just always Jesus, ranting about guys. it on this show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think people are sometimes too nice, and I have occasionally, like, only in very loud audiences where I know the poet in question won't hear, but when something that I think is mediocre is getting like an 8.5. I have been known to be like, oh, calm down. Um, <laughs> at, you know, at about that volume while everyone else is cheering, it's really not. Um, I actually quite like having a basis around seven. Firstly, because per it means that people are happy and see that their poem is being well received. Mm -hmm. But also because it means that two judges can torpedo someone if they notice that poem is massively problematic and other people don't. Yeah. Mm. And I've been in a couple of situations where maybe that would have been quite a useful thing to have on mm. hand. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and you, certainly somebody that has no fear of being outnumbered by the other judges or pressure. Like, I've seen you give, like, a 0 0.2 and other people are giving 8. Mm. Wow. Nines. Nine. Nines. Oh, yes. Wow. It, it, it's a poem which I actually love on some level, but equally, like, it's an anti-slam poem, not a poem poem, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I judged it as a really good poem in an anti-slam, yeah. but not in a slam. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so... I've, oh, sorry. I, I've I've only ever I think I've only ever been a judge about I can only remember one time there might have been a couple more but I really struggle to remember them and because I'm usually either performing or know enough people that are performing mm. that I'm not anyone's first yeah. choice as a judge um, but the time that I was performing uh, the, the time that I was a judge I remember suddenly having this whole new level of analysis based on what I thought other people would do mm. and not wanting to stray too far from right. it. I think I might be braver these days if it was a few years ago. But I remember there was something that I thought was like, eh, not great, but also I reckoned everyone else was... I thought I'd do the low end of normal. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out that everyone else had given it a lower score and I was like, oh, I look so like I loved like this. Loved it, yeah. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I thought he could have done better. I've heard him do better before. Um, yeah, or like there was someone performing who I was like, I know you well enough that I know what you're talking about and I know it was really important and meaningful to you. I don't think this poem hmm. 
conveys it well, but because I have that background knowledge, yeah, it changes it. For I'm you. not sure yeah. how to judge. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Robin, your slam experience in the last couple of years, you've been like really, very much involved in slams and yes. doing very well in them. Yeah. <laughs> like, what have you learned from your experience Ooh. in slams? And- I, I noticed that a lot of different slams have very different subcultures. Okay. Mm. So, for instance, um, I took part in Cambridge three years in a row. I came second, second, and first. So there's a very high degree of consistency there. And frankly, <laughs> my poems are down quite well in Cambridge. Is that like, the Hammer and Tongue one? That's yeah. the Hammer and Tongue, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and then I came to London. And firstly, my poems don't do as well in London, like even the same poems. <laughs> we don't um, all have PhDs. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, even stuff like, like because um, you've got a Selkie poem and I've yeah. got a Selkie poem. And the first time ever that most of a room have gone, yeah, we know what a Selkie is, was in Cambridge. <laughs> Normally, one or two people go, yeah, we know what a Selkie is when I get up to that mm-hmm. poem. And then you have to explain for everybody else. Cambridge, that completely threw me off because I've, I've got that intro timed. I know exactly how long I can take on it. And I just went, oh. All right, then. But yeah, yeah. Faye Roberts, the lovely host of yes. Cambridge Hammer and Tongue, also has a poem. Yes, has a whole has show, show about mm-hmm. selfies, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I won some slams in London, but it's mm. definitely not like a consistent thing. I wouldn't rely on winning a slam mm. in London. Um, mm. And I think partly that's just because my poems don't land in the same way with different audiences, um, but also just what people go to a slam looking for is different mm-hmm. in different places. And I suppose you've just got more slams in the same geographical in a geographical yeah. area, so yeah. there's different audiences and like we Absolutely. see some yeah. yeah, more segmentation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, from winning the Farago Slam in London, I got through to the two international slams basically as a result of this. And there you see a tremendous difference mm-hmm. in what people consider to be like the best slam in their country. So mm. everyone has won some sort of slam that qualifies them in both cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the World Cup in Paris, um, there was, I think, 22 different countries represented, and they all uh, gave very different styles of poem. Like, mm-hmm. some were really incredibly wrought and page poetry, but mm-hmm. delivered very slowly and in a very, like, this-is-performance way, mm-hmm. in a way that would not do well mm-hmm. in, in London at all. And even in Cambridge would probably struggle. Mm. Then other people were doing basically American slam, even though they they weren't actually American. So mm. Canadians, for instance, yeah. might also be doing quite American style slam. Mm-hmm. And you can see that a lot of slam culture has sort of emanated yeah. from America in that way. Mm. Um, the influence and the kind of structure of yeah. it. The certainly. way that yeah, that poems should be very immediate and sort of centered around you as a person mm-hmm. and often around your body three minutes around a yeah. body or personal struggle yeah in the second minute there's some kind of a turnabout where it stops going deep into yourself and actually it's about everybody and about 30 percent of the time somebody will say which is to say mm-hmm. which i mean it's a handy little phrase i get it but it does crop up a lot it's a yeah. very american slammy thing yeah Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Um, Europeans, I think, are less like that and tend more towards the sort of slightly more understated, slightly more exploratory type of mm. slam, and you get more sort of like surrealism coming through. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's all you get many colours of different types of styles in different places. Mm. And yeah, then I did the Madrid slam, which um, was really great. I saw a lot of the same people again in that because it's people who qualify for one would qualify for the other. Mm. But. Um, yeah, I uh, met a few new people there, and yeah, the, the interesting thing there was, so I 
interested in whether you have this idea of transitivity in poetry. So this means if this poem beats that poem, and that poem beats this other poem, can you poem guarantee a that poem, poem A will consistently beat poem C? Yeah. Mm. Not better in you know, like a real mm. sense, but mm. like beating the same win. audience. Yeah. 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 And you don't have that with poets, I found, because so Italy had a replacement of who the uh, poem, the, the poet who qualified was. Mm. And previously I drew with Italy in mm. the um, World Cup of Slam. And then in the Madrid Slam Championship, I beat Italy in that case, even mm. though theoretically this was someone who was in some sense better at slams. Mm. Um, so it looks like you can't rely on transitivity at all, yeah. even within like a fairly international context. That's yeah, really interesting. That's and how does that work in terms of language, actually? Because that's something that's always kind of because, like, when you when you go for the um, the Farrago slam, you have to submit your poems to be translated in advance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so how does that work? Are people doing it in their own language, and you've got the translation? Are they doing it in English? How does it work? So in both cases, you perform it in your own language, mm -hmm. and it's translated into um, the language that the audience will presumably be reading it. So in France, that was in French and English and your own language, mm. if your own language is not one of those two. Mm -hmm. um, in Spain, it was only available in Spanish and your own language, unless your language was Spanish, in which case it was available in English. Okay. So people like me who don't speak Spanish wouldn't actually understand the Greek poem, for instance, because it was in Greek and Spanish. Mm. And that does kind of give a notable disadvantage to the Greek poet. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate. There's not really a way around it. Like, the audience mm. will just be more likely to understand poems written in certain languages, yeah. and English is usually one of those languages. Mm. Um, and you do systematically see that poets in English, poets performing in English or the native language, do better than poets performing in a mm. language that most people won't understand in the audience. And your poems specifically are so, so based in... Um, wordplay and based in la language itself a lot of what what is so great about your poetry is the way that you are thinking so clearly about language and the way that different phrases and words relate to each other there's a lot of puns so work in translation poetry translation is yeah. a whole thing isn't mm. it yeah so in my experience people don't do constraints when they translate because it's very difficult. Mm. Yeah. They will often try and translate puns or mm. find another different pun that fills a similar space okay. so that you have the idea that a joke is happening mm -hmm. and people reading it will laugh at the, a different joke but they know just <laughs> yeah. it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. That's um, so tricky. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. interesting. So it, is, it isn't just a literal translation, they do try and translate they it some sympathy. try to, but it depends on how much time they have. Mm. So apparently in Spain they really put a lot of effort into thinking about this. Mm -hmm. um, in France, there's a lot of languages to cope with. So Spain only has yeah. seven different countries, and mm. a few so of those are going to be English or, or, or mm. Spanish. Whereas if you're in France, they have so many different countries. No one apparently is qualified to translate Japanese into English and French. So um, <laughs> they, they really had to rely on uh, people from that country doing the translation in mm. some cases. It, so there's a lot of who can you find that can do this, and what are they willing to put yeah. in? Because a, a lot yeah. of it's not really particularly well paid. Yeah. If paid at all. Um, yeah, so it, it does just depend what you can get. And yeah. as an English speaker, I obviously have an advantage there yeah. because I'm probably going to find a better translator. Mm. Yeah, you're probably also going to find that you're performing in Europe, in a capital city. The chances are people probably at least have a grasp of what you're getting at, if yeah. not yeah. getting everything that you're saying compared mm. to, say, yeah. the person speaking in Greek. 
And what was the kind of the crowd like? Because I have heard people say that London is a little bit kind of cuddly and sort of fuzzy and sort of, oh, are you lovely? You did well. You got on stage. We're going to give you a seven. Oh. Uh, whereas, yeah, I think, I think other scenes I've heard can be a bit harsher. And I was curious, like, what was the crowd like at World Cup? Um, no, I found them very friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I seem to make many friends in the crowd. Um, I wouldn't say, actually, that that was necessarily my experience. I think it varies between slams in London mm. yeah. a lot more than it varies between London and, say, Cambridge or Quebec or anywhere else like that. Yeah. The other places in the world that I've slammed, I would say, consistently tend to be relatively warm, just compared to, like, a comedy gig. Mm -hmm. um, but the least friendly slams I know, which I guess I won't mention by name, are in London. Yeah, I, th I found as well, moving to London from from doing spoken word in Norwich for several years, that actually it's kind of, it is kind of intimidating. It's certainly overwhelming, mm -hmm. in like... Oh my god, there's so many slams. Where the hell do I even start? Like, mm, yeah. like open mics and and opportunities. The opportunity's there, and it's great that the opportunity's there. But it's where do you even start? And then you almost automatically sort of find the people that you get on with and, and fall in with. That doesn't necessarily mean they were or that they were the right people, and that there weren't other groups that it's could have worked. Yeah. as well it's a bit like first week at university where yeah. you kind of make friends with the people you run into, and then by about Christmas you're like. This is my crowd. You have to really oh, did I choose correctly? Yeah. You have to really put the effort in to then break out of that. Yeah. Mm, Which isn't to say that anyone won't talk to you if you go to X other night, but just that you yeah. once you've found a peer group, you then yeah. tend are you, are to congregate around them. Yeah. No, no, I'm not dumping anybody. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> cool. Um, I think that seems like a good place to... Is there anything you'd like to plug, Robin? Uh, so at the end of this month, we're going to have the birthday party of Speak Equals, and I'll be uh, one of the poets of that. Great. Brilliant. And that's awesome. at the Jago in Dalston. Yes, on Thursday the 27th. Brilliant. And there will be open mic there as well. Yes. So Robin has just told us that they have um, a spreadsheet of poetry nights. Um, yeah, so just curious to find out a little bit more about that and what the categories are and how you, how you rate poetry nights. Yeah. I specifically try not to rate them because I know too many of the organisers for that not to get awkward very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, I just try and pass comment on like things like do they have disabled access and mm -hmm. when do they actually start or are you going to have to wait for half an hour yeah. if you just believe whatever <laughs> is written on the advertising Yeah. because as someone That's who important. newly moved to London like this was a big thing there is time and there is poet time yeah Yeah. and so I looked at, into this and um, just tried to write down some of my experiences and just sort of give comments on the night I think sometimes my incredulity as to how a knight could possibly be doing this thing crept into the comments. <laughs> like, in what? <laughs> as in, like, when you're told not to clap at a poetry night. What? Or uh, nights where everyone runs away after they've done their poem. Or yeah, that's okay. really bad. And there's heckling on stage. Like, things mm. like that. It's kind of difficult to convey that information in a way that doesn't carry judgment. But equally... It's useful to know. Need to know this sort of stuff. They so know. this spreadsheet yeah. is available publicly? It's currently on my blog, but ah. you could host it if you want to, given yeah. that you are now a source of information. Or a link <laughs> to it. Yeah. Or yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the address of your blog? Oh, uh, scienceisshiny.wordpress.com. Ah, mm. awesome. Yes, yeah, so we will pop links to that in the notice board and uh, yeah, on our pages. Heck yes. Awesome. Great. Yeah, uh, social media, where can people find out more about you? Oh, I'm just Robin Lamble on Twitter, Instagram, and Robin Lamble-Poet on Facebook. Cool. Cool. And that's Lamble, Lamble spelled? L-A-M-B-O-L-L. -L. Perfect. Brilliant. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you for having mm. me. Yeah. Great. Cool. <laughs>
So now it's time for our book of the month, which Rebecca had the pick this month and chose Death Magazine by Matthew Hay. Yes. Rebecca, tell us a bit about the book. So, Death Magazine, it described itself as a neutropian vision of our soundbite, snippet obsessed digital and print magazine culture. So it is almost set out kind of like a magazine. It's got a kind of beauty section, a fitness section, a features section, and it kind of is taking aim at kind of... Um, yeah, sort of magazine, online culture, celebrity culture. It's kind of got like sort of fake advice columns that disappear off into the surreal. And yeah, it's a lot of fun, actually. It's an interesting, interesting collection. So yeah, there's a lot of um, about basically living our lives online versus having this big meaty flesh body that we walk around with as well. Um, and particular, and, and, and then infused with what kind of uh, online culture and magazine culture has done to men's concept of themselves and the ideal male body and things like that so yeah mm. um and it kind of opens with quite nice because I'm, I'm always in two minds about quotes at the beginnings of books actually sometimes yeah. sometimes they really add something sometimes you're like you just want to make it clear which which people gandhi doesn't make you deep <laughs> <laughs> hard disagree <laughs> in the words of martin luther king no, what the fuck? <laughs> um yeah I feel like they can be over. I believe it was Gandhi who said quotes at the beginning of a book. <laughs> <laughs> Highly intelligent. <laughs> this has got a J.G. Ballard one, mm. which is, how do we make sense of this ceaseless flow of advertising and publicity, news and entertainment, where presidential campaigns and moon voyages are presented in terms indistinguishable from the launch of a new candy bar or a deodorant? Which, yeah. Fair. fair. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it actually, I think it... It, that really works to kind of almost unlock the book, actually, because there are a lot of poems that go off in quite a surreal way, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. And that, that quote, I think, is really helpful. Mm. What did you guys think? I found, when it worked, I found myself rereading pieces and sort of decoding them and getting more from them each time. Mm. And then there were some where I went, this is so conceptual that I don't know if, if I'm getting this, what this is supposed... To... Yeah. yeah. I feel like because it because it is surreal and non-linear, yeah. you're kind of left with interesting gists and scrambles rather than necessarily a clear argument or narrative or... Yeah. And there are some times where I wonder if maybe like trying to work out the point too much might might actually be missing the point, do you know what I mean? Because it goes off into kind of surrealism and things. But yeah. So for example, I've just flipped open to, uh, on page nine, uh, we will not become the cloud, the cloud will become us. And each line before it, or most lines before it, have a percentage and then like a, a few dots, so 4%, 6%, 17%, which is, I suppose, loading, but they're not... Mm. I read it the first time just through, spotted the numbers, but didn't make much of them. And then I sort of read it a second time trying to decode if... 86% is has a relation to the line scoffing sausage rolls in the car park rain. Um, is that 86% like, of what it is to be human? Is Or yeah, yeah. just, just yeah, I, I occasionally yeah. wasn't sure where the eye was supposed to go. Yeah, which or I, like the first poem yeah. you've got it flipped open to there yeah. is in two columns. And I initially read it column one, column two, but then I tried reading across seeing if that had yeah. something else in it. And... So I, I, I read that as because that is the title poem of the collection, Death Magazine, and I read that as this is supposed to look like a, a magazine print. That um, makes sense. And it kind of is, <laughs> it is sort of lampooning, and I think it's related to that poem because it's about the, um, 
it sort of starts with, or it kind of it plays with this whole idea of uploading your consciousness to the cloud. Yeah. Uh, and kind of stupid advice columns that would go with that. So like, six essential tips for transferring your consciousness to the cloud. Say goodbye to skincare. A look at the products you won't be using when you have no skin. What do cloud bodies eat? Dealing with the emptiness that replaces hunger. How to leave a gym fit corpse. <laughs> Which I just, I thought there was some really funny, savage mm. thing, you know, working mm. for a magazine, I feel personally attacked by some of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, f- I found when it, when it hit right, I really enjoyed it. And when, so... There were some pieces like the the they have there's a series of fitness section is just a series of like male celebrities they've got Marlon Brando, Jean Claude Van Damme, Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hardy, Brad Pitt, and when I got the references, so like Bruce Lee or Dolph Lundgren, I know a few things about them that then like filtered into the poem in an unusual yeah. way. I'm like, yes, you did date Grace Jones. I knew that. Um, <laughs> what was the like? There was a line that made me properly snigger oh I know it's a Jean, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme um, mm. where he kind of, sort of uh, mentions him um, starring opposite Arnie in Predator it was a film about the botanical gardens at Kew <laughs> which I just thought was hilarious yeah and it's this weird yeah. mix of like snippets that are true and then like halfway through the sentence would like skew off and go into a different yeah. direction which I, I kind of oh, sorry. sometimes I was trying to work out is, is the other direction linked mm. or not I, I kind of read it as being about kind of the absurd, absurdity of beauty norms and that they're all kind of slightly different physical types and that they are kind of... Because there is a bit, the, the Brad Pitt one, there's just a bit where they're like, Brad Pitt ruined it all for the rest of us. And like, because he was kind of probably the first kind of muscle-bound sort of, you know... Well, maybe not first, but like, you know when you look at kind of... That generation's, stars, yeah. Yeah, there, there was something, you know, and kind of there's quite a good thing about... Um, they, some of them, they have the tone of... I think they're taking the piss out of those kind of, you know, top ten weight loss tips from Tom Hardy or whatever. Yeah. You know, this is what he does and you should aspire to this bonkers ass thing too to do with your life yeah you know even though no one's paying you to radically change your body shape in six months and making sure the bills are taken care of and giving you all the right food for it yeah you know so yeah i quite i quite enjoyed those i thought they were some of them really funny but yes they are they do kind of veer off into the i think i've made the mistake of trying to decode the surreal bit (laughs) (laughs) too often i yeah i'm never sure what what depth to read some of them in yeah. And there were a couple where I got to the end and I was like, oh, I think that's about that. Reread it. I'm like, yes, that is about that. And I've got more from it now. Mm. And there was somewhere I'd read it and be like, I... <laughs> I'm just not quite sure. Yeah. I hadn't read the blurb until just now when you read it out about the fact that it's obviously Dardarist cut-ups. Mm-hmm. I worked that out from <laughs> reading the book. And I was like, okay, I think it just feels to me very much like cut-ups very much like William Burroughs mm. or um, Gins- like Ginsbergian I guess like a lot of those beats who were who were cutting stuff up and just putting things together to see what mm. worked um, I was listening to a show about Burroughs last week and so it brought it back into my head and when I was about 18 I was like super duper duper into that kind of thing and then over time, like, my tastes have changed a bit. Mm. And I'm a bit more like, actually, I want more directness from the poetry that I personally am into nowadays. And there's a couple of examples where that really works. Like, I really love the poem Vintage Barbie Chest of Drawers. Oh, yeah, that's um, That's great, where he's just talking about how, as a boy, he is playing with a chest of drawers for his Barbie set and 
My grandparents th thought it meant I would turn out funny, but it's difficult for a six-year-old to articulate how few things are as satisfying as the click of a tiny drawer in a tiny cabinet. Love yeah. that. Really great. I love the idea of it. I love the simplicity of it. It's fantastic. He got... There's another one, What Will Your Sims Do Now? Yes, I really love that I one. Love that. That's a yes, great it's, concept. So it's, 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 it's the protagonist's uncle has died and he's kind of playing with the Sims. So he's kind of this sort of... He's got his, un his deceased his uncle's, uncle's computer, computer Yes, yeah. And it's kind of playing with the uncle's Sims. And yeah, and it's, and it's just actually quite sad at the end. Like, yeah. Quite poignant for this Sim who's mm. lost her god. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's a... It's a it's a fucking clever idea. Yeah. Really well executed. Yeah. Really funny but sad. And yeah, like yeah. for me, where the collection really sings is those couple of mm. the poems like that. Yeah. Where... yeah, and they're less surreal actually. This one and also, yeah, I've, I've folded down three corners of the ones I really liked. It's that. Um, Dementia's video game. Yeah, yes, that's another really, clever, really yeah. good one actually. So half of me is in the wall. Mm -hmm. I don't remember now what I don't remember. Yeah. It's just like... Oh, okay. So it's interesting because it's, I don't think it's about the poetry. I think it's about me. I think it's about the way <laughs> my my tastes have changed. Yeah. Like ten years ago, mm -hmm. I think if I'd have read this, I'd have gone this. This is great and really for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, what I'm interested in has changed, mm -hmm. and what I'm interested in are more these ones that are a bit more direct, that are a bit more conceit based, where he's kind of looking at looking at dementia through the video game glitch, looking at the idea of like death and bereavement through the sims, looking at the idea of uh, masculinity through the Barbie chest of drawers. I think for me, those are where the collection really works. Mm. And it's interesting because like, I, I really love the concept of the book as a whole as well. Mm. The way that it's split up into the different sections, the magazine yeah. idea the, and it feels magazine-y. Yeah, because you forget about the magazine concept and then it comes back to kind of, yeah, the slightly weird Q&As or a kind of advice thing. And like, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. And the interview one, actually, where it's um, like cut up, yeah. a cut up of, uh, I think it's from OK Magazine. Yeah. Questions from OK Magazine with words that have been cut up together. And there's bits in that poem that really hit me really well. You never understand just how much you're going to love a 15-minute workout, but then that changes as it goes on to, like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels, so it's called Interview with a New Father, and it kind of seems to be partly about, like, yeah, how, you know, all the questions are like, how are you finding the new arrival? arrival? Did you cry when she was born? How do you mm. fit everything in? And all those kinds of things, but then... It always cycles back to the gym, and the kid is barely mentioned. The gym, and then the ocean floor, yeah. and then a deep-sea isopod. Yeah. You never understand <laughs> just how much eyebrows. you're going to love this giant deep-sea isopod, which I think is a Robin thing. Yeah, Robin's eyebrows <laughs> When I said isopod, just went, Ooh. Mm. Um, What is an isopod? Sorry. It's like a kind of shrimpy type of thing. Uh -huh. Lots of legs. Mm. Uh. Related to shrimp and crabs. And Thank you. Also, <laughs> so because, because my tastes have changed, but I still have like an understanding and appreciation of like more surreal writing. When I read, we are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. And I was like, that sounds very familiar. It sounds very Lynchian, very, very David Lynch kind of thing. Yeah. And then it literally is a David Lynch line <laughs> that, that is the title of that poem. Um, and the whole thing has a Lynchian kind of feel yeah. to it. That, that line also made me think of Do Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep. Yes. Might just, yeah. In fact, the, the one before that is my robot brackets or I stop knowing what to do with the Android version of you. So yeah. Android on one page and then Dream on the next page. Yes, know. yeah. I guess for me, there are things in it that I really like. There are terms of phrase that I really like. And when, 
I think like any ex more experimental poetry, yeah, where it clicks for you as the reader, yeah, it really works. But you have to kind of accept and roll with the fact that it's not always gonna do that, yeah, um, mm. for you individually. Just because when you're look when you're having words in this almost sort of aesthetic way, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it mm. won't. For you, um, but it's quite a kind of bold and unapologetic in the kind of oh, yeah. in the conceit and in the experiment and in the it's you know it's kind of yeah it does, this is this is this is what it is come meet me it's not like oh god another one of these yeah. like it is very much its own thing yeah like the and, sorry go on oh, and I I personally really liked some of the ones about some some of the more queer ones so or more explicitly queer they're all hmm. doesn't disappear um but so there's one called simul simulacrum. 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 Um, Maybe. Which I don't know what that word means. Oh, simulacrum. Simulacrum. I've said simulacrum. Okay. What does I, it I, mean? I don't know what it means. So it, it's so, so a facsimile or a, a simulation. Okay. The uh, thing, the thing that is 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 simulating somebody else. So uh, yeah. There's a lot of words in this book that I didn't know what they were. <laughs> there were a few words where I was like, I need to But that one is, I believe, about um, about as a queer person not having kids. Um, and it's got the line with a barricade for the flesh ghost train that barrels down the dark of years. Um, uh, oh, just before that, there's a line we are nature's end point. Yeah, we are not going to have kids. We are mm. we are the end of this flesh ghost train, um, <laughs> which is not a way I've considered it before, but I found really interesting. I like that um, more than family tree, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> flesh ghost train. <laughs> Any other thoughts you'd like to share about this book? There were a lot of individual lines that I enjoyed, but often the whole I felt like I was missing something. But then, as I say, like there were one or two, like the the what will your Sims do now or the Dementia is a video game glitch, which I really really liked. Yeah. I think the ones that I I enjoyed the most were more were less surreal and more like weird surreal concept. But then like the actual poem had more of a narrative within it. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it was yeah. definitely bold and. And I didn't, yeah, I, I did enjoy the pop culture dicking about, like the the, yeah. the leading men uh, bios, etc. Anyway, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I think it's not necessarily something, the sort of thing that I would usually read, so I kind of, I think I really enjoy being plunged wholeheartedly into something so different. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, cool. That's Death Magazine by Matthew Hay, which is H-A-I-G-H, -H, and that's out on Salt Publishing. And you can get it through their website, saltpublishing.com. So this month, we are introducing a brand new section where we ask one of our favourite poets for a piece of writing advice, a prompt or a tip, uh, which you can use in your own work. So to kick us off, uh, we brought back our inaugural interviewee and made him be our inaugural uh, tip of the month poet. Uh, so Tyrone Lewis, who uh, sent us this uh, piece of advice. Hey, this is just a writing tip from Tyrone. It's using the senses to kind of help you write poetry. So thinking of something, whether it was a time, a place, a person, whatever, and then using the senses to describe it. So think of a person, what do they smell like? What do they taste like? What do they sound like, etc. and doing that. And as an intro workshop, just something to get you going, you can take that as literally as you want to, that what did this person smell like? They smelt exactly how they smell. They smell of Lynx Africa, they smell of Old Spice or whatever you want to go with, but you can also go with 
they smelt of possibilities and all the futures we could have together or they smelt like Regent's Park where we first had our first kiss or whatever, anything like that. It's an easy one that works with everyone as much as everyone knows the senses, everyone can think of something, challenge you to think of that thing in a few different ways and then from there with any kind of free writing challenge you can go from there to something else. So yeah, that would be my writing tip. <laughs> for the notice board section, letting you know what poetry nights are coming up this month and where you can go to perform your work or submit it for publication. Uh, so to kick us off, events in London. What have we got? On Monday the 3rd of February we've got the Words Down Workshop on Found Poetry. I think that's as part of the Word Up new programme and that's at Halston Library. Also on the 3rd of February we've got Chocolate Poetry Club's Open Mic, uh, they, they call it Open Mic Fire, uh, and that's at Clapham North. Or the Clapham North. A pub rather than the station that we have. <laughs> On the 5th and the 19th, we've got Spoken Word London, and that's at Vogue Fabric Dalston. On the 6th of February, it's the Genesis Slam. The return, the, 20, the, return the 2020, Genesis first 2020 yeah. Yeah. Slam. Yeah. Exciting. Uh, on the 7th of February, it is She Growls at the Poetry Cafe. On the 8th of February, it's Poets for the Planet at the Society of Authors in London. It's a full day of poetry workshops, a poem-a-thon and evening performances, all with the aim of using poetry to combat the climate crisis. On the 11th of February, uh, we've got uh, Boomerang Club, so it'll have its second event at Set Dalston, and featuring we've got Dan Simpson and Mandisa Penner. On the 12th, it's work by Paul Cree at the Vaults. And that's a morning that's event. That's a morning event. Ah, ooh, yes, goodness. Yeah. On the 12th, it's Smut Slam at Colours Hoxton. <laughs> that's fail. the theme of Smart Slam. Oh, okay, sure. That is going to be a fun this night. Go in then. Uh, <laughs> the, the, shade the, theme, the theme is epic fail, but Rebecca's just written epic fail next to it on the <laughs> list, which makes it look like we really hate Smart Slam, which is no, not the case. So my understanding of Smart Slam is you turn up and it's a story slam, and you tell about your, you know, sexual your dirty stories, okay. and the theme is epic fail. The theme is epic fail. So it's going the to night be itself is not an epic fail. No. It's going to be great. That's fantastic because I love I love stories of because they just sex can just go so wrong in so many interesting ways. Like <laughs> just just me, just me. <laughs> Moving on. I don't. I've, I've I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Tell us more, Rebecca. <laughs> no, you have to wake the up. Ah, excellent. On the. 14th Valentine's Day uh, there is the Antipoet is playing Railway Tavern uh, which they are always loads of fun uh, on the 15th a um, friend of the podcast Iris is involved with um, a workshop which will be looking at the senses so it's called My Senses slash the Senses of the World uh, and that's going to be at Set Dalston that's Iris Colomb um, on the 18th of February, mm. we've got uh, Insight, and that's back at the Phoenix Artist Club in Soho. I believe, Hannah, you're hosting that? I am hosting that, and because it is LGBT History Month, and I believe the theme of LGBT History Month this year, it's it's writers and artists, and I forget how they've exactly phrased it, but um, it's it's going to be a big one, and we are going through... I am digging through loads uh, my my poetry library bookshelf for queer writers across the ages so it's an open mic night generally but also if you want to turn up but you don't necessarily want to read something we will also have poems that you can just pick up and read uh, by other people um i'm trying to find the re some of the like earl of rochester yeah. filth from the uh <laughs> regency era etc can i come dressed as the main character from gentleman jack Yes. Thank you. Yes, you can. Encouraged. I just want a waistcoat, a top hat, and to be that. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yes, please. Queer Victoriana, sexy, like heck yes. Yeah. 
Uh, on the 22nd, there is the Free Verse um, Poetry Book and Magazine Fair at Conway Hall. I think that's something you've been to previously, I isn't have it? been yeah. to it before, yeah. Um, it's really good. Um, lots of small presses presenting, and it's a really good opportunity to go, particularly if you're thinking of putting your manuscript together, thinking of trying to maybe not force your way into meeting publishers, but it's a, ni <laughs> it's a nice way to actually meet people who are working in the industry and just have a chat and see maybe what they're looking for from submissions. On the 27th of February, it's the Canada Water Open Mic at Canada Water Theatre. Also on the 27th of February, it's Speaking Clause, which we mentioned previously. Ah, I did. Excellent. And who's featuring there, Robin? Well, I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and on the 28th of February, we've got Once Upon a Mic. That's at the Castle, which is near Brick Lane, uh, Liverpool Street Station. Yeah, Allgate East. Allgate East. Yeah, that kind yeah. of area. And there's the Words Down Writing Workshop, which is every Tuesday. And where is that, Laurie? That's at Rubio in Harlesden. And uh, for Outside London, on Wednesday the 5th, we've got Tongue Punch and Margate, featuring Carmina Masoliver. I believe that's at the Tom Thumb Theatre in Margate. Uh, yep. Uh, on the 5th, we've got Words and Verses, and that's at the Manor Ballroom in Ipswich. On the 6th, it's Harry Baker's Speakeasy at the Gulbenkian, with Dan Simpson and Neelam Sarida Brady. Where is that? Uh, Gulbenkian is in Canterbury. On the 7th of February, uh, we've got Hammer and Tongue Cambridge, featuring Dan Simpson and Antonia Jade King. Can you tell Dan Simpson's got a book out? He's got a book <laughs> out. He's got a book out. Yeah, which was launched uh, last totally night culture. last night on day of recording mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't make it oh no tonight tonight on day of recording yes. so last night when it goes yes yeah, so last night when it goes live so um, yes congrats sorry. to Dan yeah congrats to Dan sorry we can't plug it because obviously no one's going to hear this before it happens but you know <laughs> we uh, hope your launch went well yes <laughs> On the 9th of February, we've got Sunday Night Lives at the Flying Pig, which is always a nice night. So that's in Cambridge. The pub is like literally you walk straight up the road from the station and it's there. And it's always a, it's always a very nice night. On the 11th, is Spork at the Phoenix in Exeter. And that's uh, open mic with features. I believe it's a Valentine's-ish themed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 13th of February, we've got uh, Grizzly Pear. And the theme of this month is Laughter. And that's at the Bristol Pear, which is in Birmingham. Yeah, we found out after our mistake last month. Yeah, <laughs> apologies for that. On the 19th of February, it's Fenspeak at Babylon Gallery in Ely. The feature poet is Matthew Paul. There's open mic available. It's small and friendly night, a short walk from Ely Station. It's accessible, um, wheelchair accessible and free entry with donations taken. And that's actually run by Beth Harley, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, on, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. On the 19th, it's Lickety Spit Slam, love that name, at Marlow Kit. Lickety Spit at Marlow Kit, that's brilliant, yeah. uh, in Canterbury, and the headliner is Miriam San Marco. Yeah, Ken just bosses it on poetry event names. Ken, <laughs> is it Ken's one of Ken's? Yeah, there's quite a few Kent ones that we have where we've all been like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah Ken bosses it. On Friday the 21st, the Bookie Slam at the Faversham Literary Festival. Luke Wright headlines, and Henry Mad defends his title of Kent Slam champion. On the 25th, we've got Poetry Plus, which will be at the Slug and Lettuce in Bath, and that will be uh, a Bath Spa Uni Slam showcase with Kath and Catherine O'Driscoll as well, who is wonderful, and um, yeah, that's going to be great. And on the and 29th? Over to Robin. I believe Robin's got something to ask about. Uh, on the 29th, in Cherry Kenton, which is very near Cambridge, uh, there's St Andrew Presents Poetry Performance and Open Mic. Cool. On to submissions, which is delivered by Rebecca from the future on her own this month. So first up, we have Fly on the Wall, and they are seeking poetry, flash fiction and art along the theme of identity. And that closes on the 29th of February. 
they are looking for unpublished poems, but uh, poems that have been uh, included on blogs and social media in the past are fine, which is pretty good. Sometimes that is a bit of a problem. A poem should be no longer than 40 lines. If you go to www.flyonthewallpoetry.co.uk forward slash webzine dash guidelines for more information. The Cheltenham Poetry Festival is seeking poems along the theme of wild. Your poems can be as unruly and untamed as you like uh, in your take on the theme. The winning poet will receive £200, the second £75 and the third £25. Prizes will be awarded at a special competition event on April the 18th at the 10th Cheltenham Poetry Festival. Go to frostedfirefirsts.blog forward slash wild dash poem dash competition for more information. The Enfield Poets Poetry Competition is now open for entries. The closing date is the 7th of March and uh, the winners will be announced at the end of March with the prize giving on Saturday, April 25th. The competition is open to poems on any theme but must be the original work of the author. Poets entering the competition must be 16 years old or o- older and they are looking for poems of no more than 50 lines in length, excluding title, which have not been previously published. First prize is £500, second prize is £250, and third prize is £100. Go to enfieldpoets.com forward slash 2019 slash 09 slash 07 slash poetry dash competition for more information. Pulp Poets Press is a literary journal seeking poems on any theme, regardless of form, but they are looking for things that are fresh, modern and contemporary and represent your own voice. For more information on that, go to pulppoetspress.com forward slash submissions. The literary journal Vagabond City Literature is also open for submissions and they seem to have a rolling submission period. Again, poems on any theme, so go to vagabondcitylit.com forward slash submission dash guidelines for more information. The Trim Poetry Festival in Northern Ireland is looking for poetry and closes on the 12th of February 2020. Uh, the prize for the first winner is €500 Euro, and two runners-up will receive €100 Euro each. The prize winner of the competition will be announced during the festival and the winner and the other shortlisted poems will be published in Boyne Berries, which is a literary journal. Uh, which will be published on Friday 13th of March 2020. And that's it for submissions this month. In a moment we're going to have our live poem of the month to play us out, but before we do that, anything anyone wants to plug? Yeah, uh, social media, you can check us out on, on Laurie's Poet on Facebook, uh, Miss Lara Leaves on Twitter, also just set up a big cartel page. Yeah. Uh, with merch what, coming what, what, what will you be selling merch coming page? soon it's got a merchy coming soon page mm. <laughs> merch and what else merchy books merchy merchy books yay we'll talk more about that next month okay mm. uh, you can find me at hannah underscore chutzpah on twitter or instagram if you want to see my cat he's really cute uh, and my facebook page is forward slash hannah chutzpah poet also, I have a silly sideline project, Dragons of London. So if you would like to see any of the weird and wonderful architectural dragons around London... And why wouldn't you? It's, we need some goofy feel-good, and then I and then I make up my fake David Attenborough stick about nesting habits and stu- migration patterns. So yeah, that's uh, dragonsoflondon.org or Dragons of London on all the social medias. You can find me um, at Rebecca K. Cooney on Twitter, uh, at any name but Becky on Instagram. Um, and my website is www.rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com and actually I have something to plug this month uh, so um, Dear Damsels put my selfie poem in their book and that is Yay. out today that's out today so yes if you... yay 
Uh, so yeah, so one of my sub poems is in a absolutely gorgeous anthology, and it hasn't arrived yet. And I want it very badly, but it's just mm-hmm. about female friendship. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, yeah. So if you go to deardamsels.com, uh, you can find out more information about that, and um, yeah, and uh, uh, order a copy, preferably, please. Uh, <laughs> that would be lovely. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at deaddarlingspod. Uh, Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, uh, on Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at, at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Please do uh, drop us a review. Uh, it's really, really lovely uh, just to know that you guys are out. So, a few people have been coming up to me in real life, which has been really yeah. nice. Yeah, I had one this month. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Someone said, I've had you in my ears all week. <laughs> And I was that... like, what? <laughs> Creepiest way you could... Because I've forgotten we do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think they were talking about, Laurie? Coming in do- your ears. What have you ever those people's ears, Laurie? Yeah. Um, our poem of the month was performed by Zed at Speak Equal on 30th of January. Uh, you can find more from Zed at uh, Izzy Ink Pen, so I double Z-Y inkpen.co.uk on Instagram and Twitter at at Izzy Inkpen and on Facebook uh, at Izzy Inkpen Creates um, and you can email them at info at izzyinkpen.co.uk Why did we choose it? Uh, we chose it because Robin told me to actually oh, <laughs> Recommendation there you yeah. go Great. Yeah no we were having a bit of a chat afterwards and uh, yeah this was Robin's pick Great Cool before they play us out, uh, I just want to say thank you to Zed for letting us showcase their work. Uh, thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah uh, and Laurie, and to Robin Lamble for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme tune, and as ever, to you for listening. Bye! Bye. See you. Can you please help me in welcoming Zed to the stage? Uh, hello, friends. Hi. Um, so... There's a certain political event happening tomorrow, which we're not going to talk about too much. <laughs> no, we don't like it. Um, but yeah, this poem kind of felt relevant with regards to that. Um, it's a found poem, so that means it's written out of words from an article that was in the big issue back in like August, which was called um, What Would Anarchy in the UK Look Like? So this poem is called Anarchy, Anarchy in the UK. Um, I suppose a trigger warning for like some references to like Brexit stuff. <laughs> it's a sore topic for a lot of people, so yeah. Um. <laughs> Their agenda offers taking us back, ties us with principles and history, hierarchies with no detractors. Leaders raised to lead, given claim over democracy. Faces bursting to distract us from the core of magic money building beneath their stage. Divert attention with witch hunts of difference, dissent demonised. We try to set the right people as our guardians, but on the way in, notice the door has attained to violence. Authority hides and hangs the air, taking back control with bleeding fists, grabbing the flaming sword by the blade. Ignore how, on earth, the systems that rule each of us are not politicians, and instead believe the possibility of utopia by waiting on one pushy man. The government of this democracy is the government of no one when it rests on ruinous privileges. 
our potential for change is lost in currents, but still chimes with our bones. Listen deeply to the theory of roots. Woo!